Thank you again for, for joining us this morning, for being here in person, for joining us online. We appreciate that. As uh, I hope most of you know, we're in the middle of a series, a series that we're calling Follow. Just as a brief summary, catch everybody up if you need catching up. We started off by seeing how being an unbelieving sinner is actually a prerequisite to following Jesus. If, if you don't know that that's what you are, then, well, you need to do a little bit more groundwork. Next, we talked about how to start following Jesus. And then we saw where following Jesus will lead us. And then finally, last week, we talked about being a follower. Remember we talked about that, being a follower? And we learned about chick flick PG. We learned how to remember all the things that we are to put on as followers, what we're to wear as followers. Let me ask a question. Did anyone try on their follow wear last week? Anybody? Okay, two of you. Great. Okay, amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. No, try that. Give it a shot. It's, uh, it'll work for you. If you missed any of the messages in this series, I invite you to go to hammockstreetchurch.com or go to YouTube and just search Hammock Street Church and you'll find us. Those messages are waiting there for you and they're free of charge. Now, because we've already answered the question, if you're going to follow Jesus, where does it lead? And then last week we answered the question, what are followers of Jesus supposed to wear? Because my lawyer sensibilities are weighing very heavily on my heart, some of you, most of you know I'm a recovering attorney, um, I want to go over today, I want to go over the, all the fine print, because there is, some, there is some fine print that you'll need to know, you need to be aware about if you're going to follow Jesus, and here's, here's what I mean about that. In every contract, every contractual arrangement, there is a main objective. I want to buy this car, I want to buy this house, I want to rent this Apartment. Okay, there's, there's a main objective. Then there's, then there's also fine print, you know, things you need to know as you go about accomplishing this main objective. Now, as we've talked about throughout this series, you know, there are many advantages to following Jesus. That's what this series is about. But as you've probably discovered, and ultimately everybody discovers it, at some point along the way, following Jesus is going to cost you something. There is a, a price that you pay to follow Jesus. And it's at that moment that you discover to whom you really belong, or ungrammatically, whose you really are. It's at that moment you discover the answer to the question, am I really a follower of Jesus, or am I simply a consumer of Jesus? What does that mean? Let's pray, and then I'll tell you. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together here this morning. Thank you for giving us open hearts and minds to understand your word and understand how you would have us live this life to which you've called us. God, as we continue on, we would ask that you would use this time to educate and elucidate and motivate us to follow you more powerfully, more effectively in our lives. God, we love you. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, here's what we're going to be doing. I want to take you through a passage of Scripture. It's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel. And in Mark 8, Jesus realized that 
many of the people who'd been following him had really kind of just been along for the ride. They were, they were being consumers. They weren't being followers. And Jesus did a little teaching that opened the door to some questions that we're going to wrestle with today as we look at the fine print and we discover the benefits of following Jesus. Now, as we often suggest, following Jesus is actually going to make you a better person. It's going to make you more honest. It's going to make you more forgiving. It's going to make you more generous. And it's going to allow you to serve other people with more enthusiasm. In fact, Jesus said that if you obey the things that I teach you, you're like a person who builds their house upon a rock. And if you don't obey what I teach you, you'll be like a person who builds their house on the sand. And then when the storms of life come, if you built your house on the rock, you stand. And if you built your house on the sand, you don't. And some people have seen how that works. And you've seen how people face extraordinary difficulty in their lives, but because they had a firm foundation of faith, you've thought, man, that was amazing. I wish, I wish I could do that. I would love to have that kind of strength in my life. I've told you guys before, that, that's kind of part of my coming to faith story. There are indeed huge benefits to following Jesus, but at some point along the way, there is a price to pay. So, in Mark 8, Jesus explained to his first century followers what that looks like. So Mark 8, verse 27 is where we'll start. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? Now, just to put this in the timeline, by this point, John, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, and they thought maybe he would be coming back to life in the form of Jesus. So they kind of were wondering, who is this guy running around? Is it John the Baptist who'd been brought back to life? So they replied, some said John the Baptist. All right, that's why they replied that. They replied, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? And Peter always the most impulsive, the most impetuous, raised his hand. Any welcome back Cotter fans here? Remember that show? Oh, 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 I remember, right? Peter said, I know, I know, I know. So Peter answered, verse 29, you are the Messiah. All right, let me stop here for a minute. Messiah is a Jewish term. It actually comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. Now, we're not familiar with that term as much as we are with the one that comes from the Greek term. The Greek term is Christos which is where we get the English version of the word, the anglicized version of the word, Christ. Now, both of those words mean anointed one. So, by the way, don't forget this. Christ is Jesus' job description. It is not his last name. You got that? I was raised thinking that it was. But the ancient Jews, they were waiting for the anointed one to show up. And, and about Jesus, Peter was saying, I know who you are. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one our people have been waiting for for a very long time. And to that, Jesus responded by warning them, but don't tell everybody yet. Which had to be confusing to them, you think? I mean, weren't they supposed to tell everyone? But Jesus was like, no, 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 don't tell everyone yet. It is not time yet. So once Jesus had identified himself to his closest followers, he began to tell his followers that there would be a price to pay 
for following. So we move on to verse 31. Jesus then, began, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's just the term he used for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Now watch what happens next. This is interesting. Peter, who just a second ago had correctly identified Jesus as the Messiah. Well, here's what Peter does next. Real quick, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. So understand what we just saw. Jesus is telling his closest followers, here's what's going to happen. Things are going to get tough for you guys that are following me now. And Peter, who, who had just scored a coveted attaboy from the boss. You guys know what an attaboy is? Like, I lived for attaboys, okay? Peter got this great attaboy. He could have just gone, <laughs> I am done. Mic drop, I am done for the day. No, what does he do? He scolds his boss for going negative. Like, boss, things are going really well. I mean, think about it. Our crowds are good. Attendance is good. Everybody knows you. Your ratings, I mean, you're just killing the ratings. You're, every network has you number one rated. And you're talking about being killed? Come on, boss, you're not going to be killed. You're the Messiah. Come on, get back on script. Say something religious or something like that. I mean, you got the crowd. You see, Peter didn't get it. And Jesus did not appreciate that. So here's what he says next. When the disciples turned, well, uh, but when Jesus turned and looked at the, his disciples, he turned around and rebuked Peter. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, a, that's a harsh rebuke coming from the Messiah. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this verse, when you think about it, really hits us where we live. Jesus called Peter out. His point to Peter was, Peter, you've enjoyed following me, right? Now you're famous. People from all over know who you are, Peter. It's been great, hasn't it? But Peter, you're acting like a consumer, not a follower. A consumer is in this for what it, they can get out of it. But I want you to be my follower, which means when you and I go somewhere, it might cost you something. And I need to know, Peter, that you're with me. The reason I've rebuked you so harshly is because you're not concerned about what's going to happen to me. You're concerned about what's going to happen to you because of what might happen to me. Do you see the distinction there? And then Jesus decided to use this as a teachable moment, which he often did. And he used it as a teachable moment, not just for his apostles, but for everybody in the crowd and for us as well. And he reveals the fine print. The fine print for what it means to follow Jesus. So Jesus begins to teach them what it would mean from that moment on to follow him. So here's what's happening. Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested, tried, and crucified. And anyone who followed too closely behind the person that was arrested, tried, and crucified might be arrested, tried, and crucified also. Jesus wanted them to know up front what was about to happen. And by the way, even though we're not at risk of this happening to us, that's not going to happen to us. We're not going to be crucified for our faith unless things really change between kind of now and whenever. But we may have to make some difficult decisions as Jesus followers. So 
we ought to listen to what Jesus said next. So here's what he says next, verse 34. Then he called upon the crowd, or he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, which means follower, whoever wants to be my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross. Now that scared them to death because they knew what that meant. Take up their cross and follow me. Whoever really wants to be a Jesus follower, not simply a Jesus consumer, needs to understand that from time to time, you're going to have to deny yourself. Now, by the way, that's not some complex, theological, religious kind of thing, spiritual thing. Denying yourself is something that we do all the time. Like, for example, I used to work in a uh, restaurant called Marcel's. And uh, at the end of dinner, we would always bring around the dessert cart. You familiar with the dessert cart? You know, you go out for a special dinner and you stuff yourself and you feel good to have all this good food. And then what do they do? They bring out the dessert cart and they say, would you like to order dessert? Okay. When you go, no, no, thank you. None for me. That's denying yourself. That's what it means. It's denying yourself. It simply means you say no to you. There's something I want, but I don't think it's best for me. So I say no to me. That's all it means to deny yourself. We all know what it means to deny ourselves. Jesus said that there are going to be points of tension where what I want for you and what you want for you are different. And in that moment, you're going to need to decide, am I a consumer of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? And if you decide you want to be a follower, you're going to have to say no to you in order to follow Jesus. And then he looked at the crowd and he said, If you follow me from this point forward, you better be mentally ready to embrace the idea that you're going to have to take up your cross as you do so. Now, when we think about taking up a cross, when we think about a cross, we think about a cross. We think about jewelry, a pendant that you hang around your neck. It's a sterilized image of Jesus on the cross. I remember as a kid growing up, I knew nothing about this stuff, and I would see the crucifix on the wall of friends' homes and things like that, and I was thinking, wow, that is just fascinating. I was just staring at it, but I wasn't staring at it because it was like gross and violent and all that. I just thought, wow, that is just strange. And, and even though we've probably seen cinematic depictions of a crucifixion, that was nothing like watching an actual crucifixion, watching, watching the, the beatings and, and seeing the blood and hearing the screaming and all the smells and things like that. It was a horrible way to die. And Jesus said, you need to understand, if you're going to follow me, from this point forward, it might cost you something. You're going to have to deny yourself. So imagine yourself in their shoes. They were scared to death. Some probably turned around and said, you know what? I am out. Um, I'm out of here. I'm walking away, which, which probably wouldn't have surprised Jesus because he knows people's hearts and he knows what scares us to death and crucifixion scares us to death. But listen to what Jesus says to this crowd that was suddenly worried about whether it was worth it at all to follow him. So here's what he says. For whoever wants to save their life. Let me ask you an honest question. Would you like to save your life? Now, if you're answering that question honestly, of course you're going to say, yes, of course I want to save my life. Let's put that to the test. Do you watch what you eat at all? Probably. You exercise? Maybe a little. Do you wear your seatbelt? Ooh, how about that one? Do you lock your doors at night? 
Probably so. You do those things in part because you want to save your life. So everybody in the crowd is thinking, yeah, mm -hmm, I want to save my life. Yeah, that's what I want to do. So Jesus continued, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Now, here's what's interesting. Think about this. Here's here's Jesus' point. No matter how well we do the things to save our lives, one day we're going to lose our life. You get that? In other words, it's, it's ultimately futile. You can do all the things you want to save your life, but it ain't going to work forever. All right, so we'll keep going. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. But whoever chooses to follow me and in the process of following me loses their life, which they're going to lose anyway, or loses something of value that they're eventually going to lose anyway, or loses a relationship that was eventually going to end anyway, Jesus said, anyone who loses whatever they consider to be life because they chose to follow me and chose to advance the gospel will actually save their life, will actually save their life forever. See, Jesus's point was simply this. I know I'm scaring you now, but you need to know the end game. If the life you're trying to save is just your earthly life. You're going to lose it. But if you follow me and you lose whatever life is to you, know that you are going to lose that anyway. But if you lose it because you decided to follow me, what seems like a loss will be no loss at all. Because whatever it is you lose, you're going to have to lose anyway. And I'm giving you an opportunity to lose it with a purpose and to lose it with a meaning attached to it. So then Jesus asked them all an important question. Here's what he said. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now forfeit means to to pay or to give up or to trade in or to lose. So whatever... The whole world is for you. Jesus said, what good does it do you to gain the whole world? And then at the end of the life, you're trying to save the life that we all lose. What if you lose your soul as well? All right. Now, what if you come in and you're a person who doesn't believe in that sort of thing? I don't believe there's a soul. I believe that when you die, you die. You may be one of those people. You may know some of those people. You may be related to some of those people. That doesn't change the analysis at all. Did you know that most of the people in Jesus's Jewish community believed that once you die, that's it? Did you know that? There was a group of people, they were called the Sadducees. They believed that You're here for God's pleasure. And then once you die, that is it. There is no afterlife. By the way, that is why they were sad. You see, got that? Okay, so you guys are paying attention in Sunday school. This is good. The Sadducees were taught that there's neither resurrection nor life after death. And the reason they believed that is because there is very little about heaven in the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh. It's very little about heaven at all. Very little about heaven, very little about what heaven is like or what even happens in the afterlife. But other groups believe that there is an afterlife. And to them, Jesus said, you're right. There is a heaven where your soul will reside with God for eternity. So now just use your imagination. What if at the end of the most awesome life available, the most awesome life imaginable, what if you realize that by living that awesome, incredible life, you forfeited your soul? 
What does that even mean? Well, Jesus didn't tell us specifically what it means to forfeit your soul, but it doesn't seem like a good thing, does it? Anyway, as they were thinking about it, Jesus continued, verse 37. Or what can or what would anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus is kind of flipping the question around. And he's getting people to use their brains and to think. What if you get to the end of an awesome life filled with magnificent wealth, magnificent, endless possessions, but then it dawns on you that you're about to head off into an eternity where you're facing the prospect of emptiness, eternal emptiness, eternal torment. In that moment, what would you trade to get your soul back? What would you trade so that you didn't have to forfeit your soul? You would trade what? everything. You'd trade everything. You'd give away everything you have. Why? Because at least then, you'd have come to the realization that you're going to lose it anyway. In that moment, Jesus answered both questions. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What good is it? It is no good. And what would you give in exchange for your soul? You would give everything. All right, so that's kind of where we are with that. Jesus helped them to realize something critical about themselves. Basically, he said to them, listen, those of you who are afraid to follow me, those of you who are afraid to give up what you're going to have to give up, those of you who are afraid that you're going to have to say no to yourself, you just made a remarkable discovery. You just discovered that you consider your soul to be of greater worth than all of your possessions. You consider your soul to be of greater value than any person you may ever know. You have just discovered that you would trade all of your things and all of your potential things to save your eternal soul. That's a defining moment for a person. And with that, the people in Jesus' audience who were so scared to follow him, they realized what they were being asked to do. They were being asked to do in the words of the martyr Jim Elliot to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As a follower of Jesus, we have the opportunity to invest our lives in such a way that impacts the destination, shape, and future of our eternal souls. Now that doesn't actually sound like a sacrifice. That actually sounds like an opportunity, an outstanding opportunity because it is, and Jesus wasn't done. So speaking to the people in his audience, Jesus said this, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, whoa, wait a minute. In other words, Jesus is saying, as we move on today, as we go forward today, if somebody says, hey, you're one of those Jesus followers and you go, oh, no, 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 not me. I was just walking by. I'm not really a follower. I was just here for the coffee and donuts. Like if if that's what you answer, Jesus says, if any of you who claim to be my follower When things get rough, when you have to start denying yourself, if all of a sudden you're ashamed to be associated with me, and then he continues, if you're ashamed to be associated with me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory to be with the holy angels. All right, well, that sounds really churchy. What does that mean? What is that all about? Well, that is pointing to the time in the future when we're standing before the throne of God and we'll have to give an account for our lives. So that's kind of at the end, after you die, after you're standing before God. But here's the encouraging thing. 
the guy that was front and center there with Jesus was the guy who heard this and thought, I'll never be ashamed of you. And who was that guy? Peter. Remember Peter? You're the Messiah, Peter. I'm never going to be ashamed of you, Peter. Remember that guy? The same Peter who not long after that, when a middle school girl asked him, hey, aren't you one of those Galileans? He responded, huh, never heard of him. Remember that? And I know middle school girls can be intimidating. I get that. I don't fault Peter for that. But he said he would never do it, and he did it. That guy denied Jesus. And you remember what Jesus did? Remember what Jesus did when Peter denied him? He kicked him right out of the disciple club. He said, Gat, that's it. You're off the island. No, he didn't do that, okay? He said, Peter, I forgive you. And now I'm going to put you in charge of the whole enterprise. Just don't do that again. That's what Jesus did when Peter denied him. Peter died for what he saw. Peter died for a risen Savior. So what's the moral of the story? Well, the moral is that even though salvation is free, when you place your faith in Jesus by praying, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. So now I turn from those sins and I give you my heart and I give you my life. I want to trust you, Lord. I want to follow you forever as my Lord and Savior. That costs you nothing because Jesus paid the price for your salvation. Even though that costs you nothing, following Jesus in your lifestyle, in this sinful, adulterous generation is going to eventually cost you something. At some point in your journey, in your faith walk, however you want to call it, there's going to be a conflict of interest and you're going to have a decision to make. And it's in that moment, you'll know, you'll know that it's the moment we're talking about today. In that moment, the thing that you feel like you need to do or the thing that you feel like you're not supposed to do is going to feel like a moral imperative. It's going to weigh heavily on your heart. You're going to feel like, oh, I just have to do this. In other words, it's not going to be something that everybody else has to do. Everybody line up so we can run around the block. No, it's not going to be that. It won't be something that everybody else needs to stop doing. Hey, everybody stop smoking. It's not going to be that. It won't be something that everyone around you, around you agrees needs to be done or not to be done. That moment's going to be as if your conscience comes alive. And, and in that moment, you're just going to know if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I can't do that. Or if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I need to do this. You'll recognize it when it happens. There will be a moment in your life where you're going to have to decide, am I a Jesus consumer or am I a Jesus follower? Because following Jesus from that point forward is going to cost you something. Not only that. When you make that decision, it's going to feel like a little bit of a death because in some sense, it's going to cost you part of your dream. I've always dreamed that someday I would be rich enough to buy, be stable enough to do. And then when I got to that moment and I realized that to follow Jesus, I have to die to that dream. Oh, that's when you're going to feel it. That's the moral imperative. Sometimes following Jesus is going to feel like a little bit of a death. But you know what else it's going to be? In the long run, it's going to be a defining moment. It's going to be a life-giving, defining moment. Because when you decide to say no to you and yes to your Savior, you're going to discover something. And you're going to discover something that you couldn't have discovered any other way. You'll discover in that defining moment 
whose you really are, to whom you really belong. You'll discover in that defining moment that you're not just a consumer, you're a follower because you said no to yourself and you said yes to Jesus. And as difficult as it is, and as agonizing as it is, and as emotional as it is, I want you all to experience that. I want you all to go through that moment in your life because from that moment on, you will never be the same. When I, when I first became a Jesus follower, I remember thinking to myself, man, I could have navigated my younger years so much better if I'd been a believer all that time. I was a really, really anxious young person. As a kid, as an adolescent, as a young adult, it would have been so beneficial if I could have been equipped to approach every anxiety-producing situation I found myself in, armed with a heart that was sold out for Jesus. But I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the will to avoid all the dopey things I did and all the bad places I went that now, looking back, I wish I'd avoided. And quite frankly, I can't believe I lived through. But it's probably better that God timed things the way that he did for me. Because back then, even if I'd had known Jesus, I wouldn't have known that I would only be a consumer. I wouldn't have been a follower because I'd have been much more concerned with saving my own life. I'd have been much more concerned with preserving my own comfort or my own peace or my own nerves because it would be years later that I would truly learn what following Jesus was all about. About six years into my law career, I met Jesus and I told everybody I mean everybody. Even before I got paid to be good, I was good for nothing. And it's an old pastor joke. My partners, even my adversaries, lawyers on the other side, referred to me as pastor or, or even father. Shout out to my Catholic peeps, right? I implemented the Billy Graham rule. You know what the Billy Graham rule is? Mike Pence talked about it. I didn't ride in a closed elevator alone with a member of the opposite sex to whom I wasn't related. I didn't meet in a windowless conference room alone with a member of the opposite sex. I didn't go to lunch or dinner alone with a member of the opposite sex. Also, I didn't curse. I didn't drink. I really cleaned my life up. And candidly, it wasn't that much of a sacrifice. I was ready. It was kind of easy, actually. But then, one day, and to make a long story short, There was a case that I brought into the firm that turned out to be very lucrative, very lucrative. And it was my case. So as it was my case, I was entitled to the lion's share of the fee. And no reasonable person would have disputed that. And by the way, no court would have ruled against that claim. But when the fee came in, somebody did dispute it. My partners disputed it. And while I could have dug my heels in and fought them over it, that would have resulted in the end of our law firm and the end of our friendship and the end of my relationship with them and the end of my witness as a different kind of lawyer, a lawyer who put God's desires over my own. And it was in that moment that I understood what it meant to gain the whole world but forfeit my soul, 
what it meant to be a Jesus follower and not just a Jesus consumer. So in one of the most meaningful and difficult decisions of my life, I chose not to forfeit my soul. Now, little did I realize there would come a time I would have to make even tougher decisions in the future, decisions I would never have been able to make if I'd sold my soul on the first one. Now, I made the right call, but it cost me. It it took a major chunk out of me, actually. But don't miss the point. Choosing that way did not, did not make me super spiritual. It did not make me a paragon of virtue, not, not by a long shot. And to be quite candid, I still often wonder how much more comfortable I would have been if I'd acted differently. And sometimes I wish I did act differently. But it did teach me the value and the power of actually following Jesus. And that's equipped me to help other people facing similarly difficult challenges. You see, following Jesus has a cost, a real tangible cost. But in the end, it is worth it. It is worth everything. Since I made that decision, God has provided for my needs time and time and time again because that's what God does. All right, let me give you one more Bible illustration and then we'll wrap this up. Around 600 B.C., when the Jews were living in exile under the heel of the Babylonians, their attitude was understandably not good. Imagine what it would be like to live under the domination of your enemies and then to be forced by those enemies to leave your homeland and to settle in a foreign country. We, we can't even fathom these things. And then to add insult to injury, they'd been told by a false prophet by the name of Hananiah that God would deliver them from those Babylonian oppressors within two years. Now, for sure, people were pleased to hear that, but it was a lie. And that lie resulted in God removing Hananiah from the face of the earth. You can read that in Jeremiah 28. But along came the prophet Jeremiah, and he told the people to settle down, build houses, get married, even pray for the peace and prosperity of this city to which they've taken you, Jeremiah 29. And then after having delivered the news to the people that they had to endure hardship for three more generations, he gave them this, which God still promises to his people living in the midst of hardship today. A lot of you are going to know this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a great verse. And it's a particularly great verse when you're employed and when you've paid your car off and when you got the job you wanted and when the doctor says the growth was benign. But when it looks like the Lord doesn't have much of a plan for you, when it looks like there was an awesome plan that if you'd just worked hard and you'd done your best... And then you reach this opportunity of a lifetime, but the only way to follow Jesus was to turn it down. That's when the verse is even better. Because in this verse, God spoke to his people while they were in the midst of their hardship and suffering. And they were wanting an immediate rescue, like the one Hananiah lied about, but God's response was not to provide immediate escape from the difficult situation, but rather God promised that he had a plan to prosper them in the midst of their bad situation. Salvation is free. It won't cost you anything. Jesus took care of that. But following Jesus, 
will eventually cost you something. But the good news is you don't have to worry. Because when the moment comes, you'll know. You'll know. This is that thing that they were talking about. This is that I can't say yes to me and Jesus. I'm going to have to say no to one of us moment. After you've been following Jesus for a while and you've experienced God's faithfulness time and time again, when you get there, you will know this is that thing. This is one of those things where I'm going to have to make a tough decision. I know it'll feel difficult. I know it'll feel like some kind of death, but I'm about to discover whose I really am. And I'm not going to worry about it because I value my soul more than anything else in this world. And I know that God has a plan for my future. If you're going through something today, isn't it cool how God led you here? How God has you watching here? And how you're listening to this message. You see, when that happens, that's how you know that you're following. Because when you follow Jesus, no matter what you feel like you're giving up, God is going to use it, and you'll soon see that following Jesus is the best thing you could have done. And when you get to the end of it, there's going to be a question. What story do you want to tell? Will it be a story of how you couldn't say no to yourself? Or will it be the story of how you said yes to Jesus? Follow. Salvation is free. It won't cost you anything. But following Jesus is eventually going to cost you something. And that's okay because of the discovery that you're going to make about yourself and the faithfulness of God. One last thing. In the crowd that day that was standing in front of Jesus, there were a bunch of people. Do you know what happened to all of those people that said, no, 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 that's too much to ask? Do you know what happened to those people? Me neither. We don't know. We have no idea. But I'm guessing that on the other side of a resurrected Savior, on the day that the streets of Jerusalem were packed with people because Jesus had risen from the dead, I am certain there were countless people who would have given everything to go back to that moment and follow. Because salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. But following Jesus will eventually cost you something. And refusing to follow Jesus will cost you a lot more. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for preserving these ancient texts, for preserving this conversation between your son and his followers. Thank you for preserving this conversation for us as well so that we might wrestle with it. So, Father, as we do so, we ask for the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and the courage to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.